Well, thank you so much for coming to Good Friday service as we remember the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, if you're new to our church and this is your first time here, we'd like to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we do have a welcome packet for you and a welcome desk. So please let us know that you're here and any questions uh, that you may have. And this is the beginning of our uh, Easter celebration. And so we also invite you back to our Saturday night service or Sunday at 9 and 11 right here in the sanctuary. And then also we have a sunrise service at Security Service Field at 6.30 in the morning. And every time I look at the forecast, it keeps getting a little better for uh, Sunday morning. So it looks pretty good. It looks like a great year for a sunrise uh, service. If you have your Bible, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 23, we're going to begin in verse 46. Luke 23, verse 26. Luke 23:26 As we pray together, let's just welcome in the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth to cause us to be in awe of Christ that Christ would be glorified. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. His sacrifice upon the cross for our sins, his death and resurrection. And we do ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into your truth. No matter if we have walked with you for years or we're just getting to know you, just hearing about you, that we would see your great love for us. We're humbled by the gift of your son. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really the cross of Jesus Christ that led me to the Lord. Romans 5.8 declares, the Bible says, but God demonstrated his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At the moment that God got a hold of my life, he spoke that truth into my heart. I didn't know the reference. I didn't have that verse memorized. I was a freshman in high school, walking home from the basketball gym, looking to all the wrong things to try to fulfill my heart and my life, and The Lord spoke to me and said, Eric, while you've wanted nothing to do with me, I've wanted everything to do with you. Wouldn't it be amazing if God died for us when we were at our best? Died for us at those moments where we loved the Lord, that we were walking with him. But that's not when God demonstrated his love towards us. He proved his love for us. It was on open display for us while we were yet sinners. He loved us while we were at our worst. When we don't want anything to do with him, when our heart is opposed to him, that's when Christ died for us. The cross really is what grabs our affection and arrests our attention. Listen to these two quotes about the cross of Christ. This is C.S. Lewis. It cost God nothing, so far as we know, to create nice things. But to convert rebellious wills cost him crucifixion. When God created the universe, he spoke things into existence. It's majestic, it's powerful, but it doesn't seem difficult for the Lord. It doesn't seem hard for the Lord. There's not necessarily sacrifice involved in creation. But in order to save you and to save me and to get a hold of my rebellious will and your rebellious will, it took the sacrifice of his son. And then John Stott said this, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see that it's something done by us. 
So before we see that it's something that God has done for us, we first have to realize the reason that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ exists is because of my sin. It's my sin that sent Christ to the cross. If I wasn't a sinner, then there wouldn't be the need for Christ to die upon the cross. Do we see ourselves there this evening as we'll read through the crucifixion? That I'm the one who caused Christ to go to the cross, that his love for me to die for my sins and rise again so that I could be his child. We're going to focus on the seven sayings of Christ tonight. We're going to jump from a few of the Gospels, read through the Luke narrative. When a loved one, a friend, a valued person is passing away in your life and you have the opportunity to hear their last words, aren't they valuable to you? Aren't they significant to you? Don't you just stop and and pause and say, I want to hear what you have to say. And these are Jesus' last words in his humanity before he died upon the cross. Is it coincidence that there's seven sayings of Christ upon the cross? We see the number seven throughout scripture, don't we? What did God do on the seventh day? He created the First six days and the seventh day, he rested. The number seven speaks of completion, and Jesus has seven sayings as he is completing the work of salvation and bringing us ultimately into the rest of God. The physical agony and suffering of Christ with each breath would be difficult to breathe. Stepping up on the nails of the cross and pulling himself up by the nails in his wrists, to be able to speak and say these words. So this is verse 26 of Luke 23. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrene, who is coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he may bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and a woman who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them saying, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and on the hills cover us. For if they do these things in green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. So Christ is being crucified in the middle of two criminals. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, literally that means the place of the skull. Uh, The name of our church is Rocky Mountain Calvary. The most literal understanding of it is Rocky Mountain Skull. I don't know if that would correlate quite the, the way that we would want to, but Why is the name of our church Calvary? Because of the cross, because of the importance of knowing that Jesus died for us and proclaiming the message of the gospel. Why was this called the place of the skull? Was it the mountain that Christ was crucified looked like a skull? Was this the common place of crucifixion? And so it had this name of death. They crucified him and criminals one on his right and the other on his left. They crucified him. They nailed Christ to the cross. And this is the first saying of Christ. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do, and they divided his garments and cast lost. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is amazing. You think about what's our reaction when someone cuts us off in traffic. It's not, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It may be more like, Father, get them, because they know exactly what they do. (laughs) The grace of Christ as he's being crucified by these Roman soldiers. And they're casting lots. They're, they're playing a game at the foot of the cross. They're gambling to see who will win the lottery to have his garment. They have no understanding or respect of what is taking place. Too oftentimes we're playing games at the foot of the cross. We don't stop to realize the magnitude of the creator of the universe, our wonderful savior, dying on the the cross for us. And Jesus had the right to speak judgment. He is the righteous judge. He could have pronounced that upon these men, but instead he cries out to the Father. His attention is upon the Father. He's doing this out of obedience to the Father and says, Father, would you forgive them for they know not what they do. The blood of Jesus, as the blood is beginning to flow from his wrists and from his back and from his feet is what brings the forgiveness for our sins. Throughout the Old Testament, there was animal sacrifice for sin. Could never take away sin, only covered sin. Jesus as the Lamb of God is being crucified and by faith as we believe in the finished work of Christ, guess what takes place? We're forgiven. The freedom of knowing that we are forgiven of our sins. Are you living in that freedom? Are you enjoying that freedom? To taste and see that God is good, that this sacrifice of Christ resulted in the fact that I'm forgiven. Before a person receives Christ as their savior, there's that weight of sin. There's that conviction of sin. And what can cleanse me of my sin? What can cleanse me of my guilt and the wrongs that I've done? And the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior and trust him as our Savior, he washes us from our sin. But even as believers, we need to continue to live in the forgiveness of God, live in the grace of God. It's at the cross of Jesus Christ that results in us experiencing the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Through his blood, we have redemption. What is redemption? To be bought with a price. What's the result of redemption? The forgiveness of sin by the riches of his grace, by the riches of his favor, God giving to us something that we don't deserve in the gift of Jesus Christ. Guys, your forgiveness is not found in your performance. Your forgiveness is not found in your morality. Your your forgiveness is not found in doing good things. Forgiveness is found in the blood of Jesus. As we trust in the blood of Jesus, we're able to rejoice in the forgiveness of sin. Do you find the weight of sin on your shoulders this evening, on this beautiful, beautiful April evening? Look to the cross. And it's the cross of Jesus Christ that provides forgiveness for us. We go on in Luke's gospel. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. 
Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. So he begins to rail on Christ, saying, if you really are the Messiah, then save yourself and save us. But the other answered, answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? This is all taking place as these men are being crucified, as they're hanging upon the cross. And we indeed justly, for we receive due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. Everyone is mocking Christ. This is the voice of the soldiers. It's the voice of the religious leaders. It's even the voice of the one criminal who is next to Jesus. He's railing on Christ. But there's something different about this one man, this one criminal. And he turns and he looks to Christ and he says, will you remember us today as we die? Will you take us into your kingdom? It's an expression of faith. It's an expression of understanding that Jesus is God, that Jesus has the power to be able to forgive his sins. And here's the second saying of Christ. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. This is very lavished grace upon this criminal. He realizes he deserves to be crucified. He's never had the opportunity to go to church. He's never had an opportunity to read the Old Testament. Didn't have the opportunity to do any of the requirements that were in the law. He didn't have the opportunity to get baptized. He believed. And through faith, by grace, he received the gift of God, which resulted in salvation. Now, that's offensive to some of you. You're like, how could God forgive a criminal? This would be equivalent to someone being on death row for heinous crimes that they've committed in the last moments of their life as they're being executed they look to Jesus and they cry out to Christ saying Jesus save me I believe that you died for me and rose again and you can provide the forgiveness of sin and God's response to them would be today you'll be with me in paradise this is the nature of the gospel this is the nature of of salvation it's a free gift Have you ever received such a a lavished gift that it's hard to accept? Like, I'm not worthy of this gift. I'm having a hard time receiving this gift. I didn't earn this. I didn't save up for it. It's simply something that someone is, is giving to me, and that's the very essence of salvation. It's a free gift that we receive from the Lord uh, by faith. I had a humbling experience uh, four and a half years ago. A friend of mine said, hey, can we get together? Uh, you're on my heart. So I said, sure, let's, let's get together. And he says, I was just getting ready to trade in my car 
and the Lord put you and your family on, on my heart, and I really want to give you my car. And I was like, I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I'm fine. All this stuff. I really didn't want to receive this gift. Well, he came to the meeting, and he already had the title all signed over. And he's like, it's already decided. I've already filled out the title, and the price on the car is zero dollars, you know? And I was like, man, this is really hard to be able to receive that kind of grace and receive that kind of gift. And the car's been a real blessing to our family and a lot safer for the kids to be riding in and hasn't broke down and it's, it's, been, a, it's been a blessing. And that's such a small thing compared to salvation. That's such a small thing compared to God giving his son for us. But salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't receive it. You can't pay it off. It's a gift that we receive by faith. And Jesus takes this man to heaven. I'm going to jump over to John 19. You don't have to turn there, but this is the third saying of Christ. And then we're going to get back to Luke. So you can stay right in Luke and we'll be back in Luke in just a moment. In John's gospel, we see Jesus putting his attention upon his mom. Upon his mom, Mary. And he looks at her and he says, woman. Now, in our context, to call a lady woman comes across disrespectful, right? If I go home and see my wife, Amber, and say, hey, woman, how are you? You know, it's probably not going not to go over too well for me. It will no longer be Good Friday. And, but for Jesus, in several different instances, he uses this, and it's a term of endearment. And the pain and the agony that must have been there for Mary as she's watching her son be crucified. She knew that her son was the Messiah, but like so many others, she probably had the expectation that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire, that his life wasn't going to end in the crucifixion. They hadn't grasped the resurrection. And Jesus says, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. The only disciple that was at the cross was John the disciple. So he looks at his mom, he looks at John, and he says, mom, here's your son. Son, here's your mom. He wants to make sure that his mom is cared for at his death. Again, there's only so much words that Christ says from the cross. So what does this teach us? What's the significance of Christ doing this? It shows how Christ throughout his life cared for other people's needs above his own. That he had the mind of a servant. And his mind, even in his greatest point of agony, wasn't upon his own suffering, but was on the suffering of his mom. And he wanted to bring comfort to his mom. Do you think John and Mary were bonded from this point forward? Do you think John treated her like a mom? And she treated John like a son? The greatest bond that we have in human relationships is at the cross. As strong as the biological bond is, that biological bond becomes stronger when it is united at the cross of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we experience great relational bond with people that we don't have that biological connection with. 
They're not blood relatives, but because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're bonded together. The height of human relationship is found when two individuals have their eyes upon the cross. When two individuals are in worship of of Jesus Christ, and then that bonds us together. The grace, the forgiveness that we experience from Christ, then we're able to extend to one another. The next saying of Christ, and this is recorded in Matthew's gospel and also Mark's gospel, is then Jesus cries out and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this may be one of the most difficult sayings of Christ to understand. And for some, they get into this and they go, well, was Christ really forsaken because he's God's son? And how could God's son be be forsaken? But I think it's important for us to understand the depth of what's taking place here on the cross is the scripture tells us, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Part of what took place upon the cross is the physical agony of the cross, but also the spiritual judgment of the Father upon the Son. The Son is taking the judgment for our sin. And the consequence for sin is to be have broken fellowship with the Father. And this is part of the sacrifice of Jesus. For all of eternity up until this moment, he has had uninterrupted fellowship with the Father. After this moment, the resurrection, he'll have uninterrupted fellowship with the Father. But at this moment, the Father is actually pouring out his judgment upon the Son. The scripture calls this propitiation. In 1 John, it says this, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's a strong biblical word that means to appease the wrath of God. See, God does not give forgiveness cheaply. It's not that God just says, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, sin's not that big of a deal, I'm going to turn a blind eye and say, I forgive you because I'm kind and I'm benevolent. If he were to do that, then he would not be just. He would not be holy. In order for his holiness to be satisfied, there had to be a just payment for sin, and that was for Christ to be punished. He took the punishment for our sin. And that meant that he would be forsaken in this moment by the Father so that we have the promise that we're never going to be forsaken by God. We probably only understand the very beginning of the depth of the sacrifice of Christ and what he went through to take on the wrath of the Father and the depth of acceptance of forgiveness that we have with the Father. Because when the Father sees us now, he sees us robed in Christ's righteousness. He doesn't see our sins and our mistakes and our shortcomings. He goes, man, Christ has paid the price for you. Christ has been that propitiation for our sins. And the agony of Jesus in this moment, the agony of the Father in this moment, the greatest pain that we have in life as a parent is to watch our kids suffer. So Easter last year, I bought an old pickup truck, and I've been sharing that with you guys through, through this year. And it was the end of summer, and Eileen, my daughter, she came with me and we went out to a friend's house and 
worked on the truck and worked on an alignment out east. And then we were coming into town and we stopped and she was getting out of the truck. We had to make a stop. And all of a sudden, I just hear this painful cry coming from her. And as a parent, you know, okay, this is like, they're kind of hurt, but they're going to be okay cry. And you kind of go over, but you go over a little slower, right? Because in your perspective, you're like, nah, they're, they're, they're okay. But then there's those cries where you really know that they're hurt. And so I run around this old rusty truck, and her finger is caught in the door. And it's just, it's just stuck. And one of the huge downsides of old trucks is these doors are heavy, right? And she got it right perfectly in the hinge. So, so it just was wedged in the hinge. And I opened up the door, and she's in so much, so much pain. You could tell it was a really deep cut. Like, like this was going to, to, to need stitches, right? So we go to the emergency room, call mom. Mom meets us there, uh, the whole thing. And she gets the shot to numb her finger. And for some reason, it wore off by the time they did the stitches. And they did the stitches pretty quick. And the doctor said, that happens sometimes. Sometimes you are those lucky individuals where it doesn't work uh, quite, quite right. And man, it just hurt me. It hurt me to see her be in so much pain. And thankfully, she was okay and didn't lose her finger, got her stitches, and she's all, all healed up. And, and that's when the truck got really expensive <laughs> with the emergency visit. And here's the father looking at his son. This is his son. This is the one that the father says, this is my boy. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I'm the source of his suffering. The father in his will sent his son. The father loves us enough to sacrifice his son for the son to be the object of of his judgment so that we could have the forgiveness of God. Then after this, in John 19, Jesus says, I thirst. I thirst. Physically, he had to be so thirsty. The agony of the physical thirst and the dehydration, but there's more to this. The fellowship with the Father has just been broken. He's never been absent, this communion with the Father, and he thirsts for that fellowship with the Father. What do you thirst for tonight? What are you really hungry for? And are you thirsting for that fellowship with the Father? Jesus was willing to thirst so that our thirst could be quenched. Our thirst could be satisfied through him being the living water. And then John 19 verse 30, it says this. Jesus cried out and he said, it is finished. It is finished. Literally meaning paid in full paid in full. The price for sin has been paid in full. A joyous experience is when you get notice that a loan has been paid in full. Make those payments, make those payments, make those payments, make those payments, paid in full. I remember when we got our student loans all paid off, the last one was paid off, paid in full, and we did the party dance, right? No more student loans, right? And they're all paid off. They're so easy to get and so hard to pay off, right? 
I can't imagine what it'd be like to have the mortgage paid off. That's going to be awesome, right? But here, our sins have been paid for. Jesus says, you've been bought with a price. I have paid the price for your sins. It is finished. And then back in Luke, Luke 23, verse 46, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The seventh and last saying of Christ. And he died. At this moment, he died. He dismissed his spirit. He has power over his spirit. The way Jesus died is the way that he lived. He lived with his spirit being in the hand of the Father. Living to do the will of the Father. And in this moment, he surrends his spirit to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4 is really the focus for us during Easter celebration. It says, For I delivered to you First of all, which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is how we're saved. It's through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. This was God's plan beforehand so that we could stand in salvation and know that we are saved by God. John Piper summarizes the cross this way. Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross, cherish it for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. In the deepest pain of life, we can go to the cross of Jesus Christ. We can go to our crucified Savior and know that he understands. I believe that there's those here tonight that God wants to comfort you with his love and heal your broken heart that can only take place through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no pain that Jesus doesn't understand. And as you come and you take communion tonight, to fellowship with Christ in his suffering and say, this is the pain in my life and you, Jesus, my crucified Savior, can give me strength and comfort in the midst of this. But also, the height of every pleasure flows through the cross. We don't deserve the good things that God gives to us in life and why does he give those to us? Because we're his children. Why are we his children? Because of the crucifixion of of Christ. So those good things in our lives, as we're able to take communion tonight, we're able to say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Not only do you meet me in my pain, but also every blessing is flowing through the cross of Jesus Christ in my life. And as we close tonight and before we get into communion, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. Just like the man who turned to Christ and said, Jesus, today... Will you take me into your kingdom? If you're willing to come to that place of realizing I'm a sinner, there's nothing that I could do to bring about salvation before a holy God. I'm dependent upon a free gift. And guess what? God's already signed the title. He's already signed it with the blood of his son. You have to be willing to receive it. And how do you receive it? 
You receive it simply by faith of saying, Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I'm repenting from my sin. I'm turning from my sin and asking you to be the Lord of my life. It's more than fire insurance. It's more than being saved from hell and being able to go to heaven. It's saying, Jesus, you're wonderful. Jesus, you're awesome. And I want you to have my life. I want to be in relationship with you. If you've never made that decision and you'd like to tonight, very simply but very powerfully as we pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand. And you're not raising it to anyone else or, or to me. You're raising it to Christ saying, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you and I'm receiving that free gift of salvation. So let's pray together. Father, we're humbled by your love for us. We're thankful for the sacrifice of of your son. We realize that we can't save ourselves through works or being a good person or charitable actions or deeds. It's only by your grace through faith. Father, would you speak to hearts? Would you speak to those that don't know you, that they would trust you for for salvation? If you've never received Christ as your savior and you would like to, would you just raise your hand and leave it up? Make eye contact with with me. Praise the Lord. See your hand there. Praise God, your hand as well. Praise the Lord, your hand. See you there in the back. Anybody else today that says, man, I need to trust Christ for salvation. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sin and rose again. I turn from my sin and receive your grace and forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me, and thank you for forgiving me. Lord, we thank you for those that have responded to the gospel, and God, would you bless them. Just as we've read in your word that forgiveness comes through faith in the blood of Jesus, that you would wash their sins from them. That they would have the joy of salvation, of knowing that they're your children. Would you protect them and grow them in you? And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.